0: Disrupting the flow of money into coal, gas and oil is critical to limiting the impacts of climate change. Your bank could be investing billions of dollars into the fossil fuel industry. Bank Australia is an ethical bank that doesn't fund harmful industries. Join us and over 180,000 Australians who have made the switch. Search Bank Australia Solutions.
1: My name is Kate Ashmore and I'm a proud Jar Jar Wurong person. Today's episode of The Cool Down was recorded on the Wurundjeri lands of the Kulin Nation and the Gadigal lands of the Aura Nation. Together with Footy for Climate, we'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia. Footy comes from Mangrok, a First Nations game that has been played on these lands, which have been protected and nurtured by Australia's first people for tens of thousands of years. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging for their continued connection to the land, water and culture, and look to their guidance and knowledge as we work towards a more sustainable future. We acknowledge the sovereignty was never ceded. This was, and always will be, Aboriginal land.
0: Welcome back to another episode of The Cooldown by Footy for Climate. I'm your host, co-founder of Footy for Climate and occasional St. Kilda player, Tom Campbell, recording today on Warrundjeri land. The Cooldown is supported by Bank Australia. In this episode, I sit down with proud new knuckle man and Hawthorne star, Carl Ayman and proud Kukulug woman, Tish King, whose philanthropic work with Groundswell is delivering their inaugural First Nations grant round, Caring for Country. We chat with Carl about growing up with Perthy's disease, his role as a senior Indigenous leader in the AFL and what his connection to country means to him. We speak with Tish about her connection to country and climate change, and what environmental justice means to First Nations peoples. The theme for today's conversation is climate justice. For me, climate justice was something I knew very little about when I started this work with Footy for Climate. What I now know is that climate justice is the idea that the impacts of climate change are felt disproportionately by the people who contribute least to the problem. Climate change will lead to dramatic changes in the natural environment, which will in turn affect the way we live, with consequences on our health, energy sources and food production. And there is increasing recognition that these impacts are being felt disproportionately by marginalised communities who already live under precarious conditions. In my chat with Tish and Carl, we get an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander perspective on climate justice. But climate justice is a global issue and affects people from diverse backgrounds in different ways. After my chat with Tish and Carl, we'll play a clip from episode six of Grace Vegesana, Australian Youth Climate Coalition Racial and Climate Justice Director, where she talks about climate justice and the impacts that climate change has had on her and her family. I hope you enjoy the chat. The Cooldown is brought to you by Bank Australia. Carl Eamon, welcome to The Cooldown. Thanks for having me. Mate, um, we start every conversation acknowledging that we know so much from our players from the footy record. Uh, We know that you picked 68 in the 2013 draft, you've played 125 games, it's your 10th season. You've just got to the Hawthorne Footy Club um, after spending nine seasons at at Port Adelaide, but there's so much more about you that um, footy fans may not know. And, um, you know, what was life like for you growing up? Um, yeah,
2: I think I, I had my challenges as a, as a young kid. Um, I think what you're touching on is Perthes disease. And I was diagnosed at five years old um, with Perthes disease. And I guess for anyone who doesn't know that, it's not really um, heard of these days. But, I've, yeah, it's the head of your femur bone in your hip and it sort of um, doesn't get enough blood supply really. So the bone starts to soften and essentially the bone starts to die. Um, so yeah, from five years five years of age, I, I had that, and over the next two years of my life, it was pretty challenging. I had five operations on my hip. I was in and out of a wheelchair, and um, yeah, wasn't at school that
0: much, and yeah, wasn't able to really play sport at that young age. But imagine you're a really active kid; you would have been probably like me and lots of other um, AFL players, always outdoors. What was it like actually being sort of forced to be on the sidelines and, and watch on while all your mates are running around?
2: Yeah, it certainly made it tough. And I think um, you know when I was at school, I was probably in a wheelchair um, in that prep year, and um, you know all you want to do at lunchtime and recess is running around kicking the footy with your mates. And um, for me, not being able to do that was a real challenge for me. And um, I guess is when you're that when you're so young and so naive that you're sort kind, of kind of seen as different, and um, you know that was a real challenge for me growing up. And um, you know I'm. I'm extremely thankful that I'm in the position that I am today because it's it's extremely lucky.
0: You've gone and, and helped out other kids with Perthes disease or, or, or got along to to support some. What's that experience like actually seeing, seeing young kids going through the same thing? Yeah, it's something that
2: I'm pretty passionate about. And I guess over the years of my AFL journey, that's something that um, I like to think I'm very accessible for, for those kids and families who are going through the same thing that I did. And um, if I can provide information or, or hope to those kids that you know, one day they can be playing professional football as well, then, you know, that's something that I look forward to and, um, you know, I'm, as I said, I'm extremely passionate about.
0: You do lots of work with Perthy's disease, but you, you're you also really interested in creative pursuits and I know you're really passionate about photography. Um, what sort of stuff are you interested in shooting? Yeah, I love my photography and it probably came from, you know, just traveling, I guess, in,
2: in every off season, I try and get overseas, um, wherever that be and, uh, you know, for my 21st birthday, my parents bought me a camera, so um, I guess that's where it stems from and, And I guess over the years, um, I've been able to do some some work with some cool brands um, and that's sort of where the passion grew. So I think photography is something that I'll probably move into post-football and whatever that looks like, whether that be architectural photography or anything like that, I think that's something that I'm really passionate about.
0: So architectural photography, is there a particular design period or or kind of... uh Know, architectural school that you're sort of really interested in? I love, I love
2: modern architecture. So, um, you know, my other passion is real estate and, and property development. So I think post footy, the combining the two of, of architectural photography is something that I'm, I'm really keen to do and delve in and, um, you know, Top end houses and, and that kind of architecture is something that I love lodging.
0: Yeah, we we also know that you've done a lot of work uh, in the AFL as a leader. You know, you're not just a a leader uh, previously at Port Adelaide and at Hawthorne, but you're also a leader within the Indigenous playing group within the the broader AFL, uh, and you're you're a part of a, a senior leadership group of Indigenous players. What what is the role of that group, and what what sort of stuff do you focus on within that that um, leadership group?
2: Yeah, it's probably something that. Um, I probably grew into as well. I think um, coming into the AFL system at 18 years old, I didn't know much about my background and my culture. Um, And the programs that Port Adelaide have are you know they're, they're leading in the AFL and and what they did um, for us Indigenous players was really um, you know first of all learn about our culture ourselves but um, express that to to students in 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 South Australia with their Aboriginal Power Cup and um, you know that's where I sort of grew my leadership in in this space from and um, firstly understanding where I'm from and 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 how, where I come from. Um, And then sharing that to others so um you know here i am i find myself today i've been on the aflpa advisory board um and now i find myself in this senior um indigenous group where you know we talk about all the indigenous issues in the game and you know we have quarterly catch-ups with gil who's the ceo of the afl and um you know we just
0: talk about what's going on in today and, and how we can help um Get better. Yeah, we might touch on some of those issues that are existing in the AFL and, and the broader community a little bit later on, but um, I also know there's been an Indigenous camp and a multicultural camp. Um, yeah, you know, what is the power of connecting players across uh, both the AFL men's and women's competitions? Yeah, the power is huge with that, and um, we've had some previously in the past,
2: and obviously COVID was a big speed bump in that, but um, we had one this year, which was the first time, as you said, that the multicultural came along as well, and also the AFLW came along as well. So to bring all three groups together was extremely powerful, and um, you know that's something that you know we share a bond playing against each other, but for the ability for us to all come together um, in the one place, one, it's very difficult to. Actually get done, um, but it's really powerful when we do. So, um, you know that was really special for us to all come together, share stories, um, learn about how we as an industry can get better, and um, you know just spend time together is the main the main um,
0: issue. Today's episode of the Cool Down is about climate justice uh, and. You know, for for me, this is a, a topic that I really wanted to to have on the cool down in the first season. Um, really stemming back to a conversation I had um, with a group of really amazing young leaders at the Australian Youth Climate Coalition. Uh, and we were talking about um, getting involved and collaborating on a project. And this was really early on in Footy for Climate, back when it was called AFL Players for Climate Action. And they asked me uh, what my position was on climate justice. And I was quite embarrassed to say, I, I actually didn't know what that term meant. Um, and so you know, for me, I really wanted to explore that uh, and I think it takes you know some level of courage to be having conversations that you're um, not entirely informed or confident in in um, discussing. And so I think today, Carl, like I'm just absolutely wrapped that that you've wanted to come on to the cool down and and talk about um, climate justice as an issue. You've got a fantastic and unique perspective with um, the work that you've done in the the um, tackling racism in the indigenous programs work that you've been working on in the AFL. Um, but to discuss climate justice in a little bit more detail, um, we're really fortunate today to have Tish King join us. Tish King is a proud Kul'kul'gul woman from the island of Misug in the Kul'kul'gul nation of Zandath Kess. Uh, she works as a, at an, an organization called Groundswell and has been uh, leading a, uh, a a First Nations grant round called Caring for Country. She brings a diverse perspective of First Nations and environmental justice with her experience across different industries, including ocean science and the exploration and minerals industry. Um, She's one of the most genuine people I've had the privilege of meeting in this work, uh, and it's brilliant to have Tish King on the cool down. Thanks for jumping on the podcast, Tish.
1: Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. I always get so embarrassed when I hear my intro and then I realize, oh, you wrote that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But look, I want to acknowledge the land that we're on and I feel really grateful that I could be here joining you today on Cooling Kinship and pay my respects to the traditional custodians, um, both past and present, and respects to our emerging leaders right across this nation and really honor the contributions and the many footprints that have gone before us us and their spirits and stories. Thanks,
0: Tish. And I'm really wanting to jump into this this conversation about climate justice, Um, but from from maybe a different point, maybe not starting there at climate justice, but a a place that um, you and others have helped me to understand this issue from is actually connection to country. And I think lots of um, people would have been at events where um, country is acknowledged as you have just done now, uh, and maybe had the privilege of being welcomed to country. Um, and so, I think you know it's a really good jumping-off point for us. So, Tish, what does it mean for you to be connected to country?
1: Yeah, it's um sometimes it's really hard to put in words uh, because it's I guess really a feeling. Um, you know, I guess simply is that you know we are country. Um, whether that's land and sea, but we come from this land as the uh, one of the oldest. Well, the oldest, you know, surviving, continuing culture. Uh, it's. Um, you know, we're so deeply connected with their land, the skies, like our totems, our songlines and our stories are through this land and carved through the way that we are here. And so, you know, I used to remember my other Jack, he used to look out onto the ocean at the back of uh, Rose Hill, which is on TI, Thursday Island, in the Torres Straits. And he used to say is that he used to share a story about his time on the pearl lugging boats and he said that if we – protected the ocean the ocean would look after and protect us when we were at sea and so I didn't quite understand really when (laughs) those beautiful anecdotes that he used to say and his wisdom but you know what have you know, through experience and that deep connection of when I'm in the ocean or up in the mountains is that, you know, this is who we are and this is our culture and we must protect it and we must always fight for her um, and fight for goo or Mother Earth.
0: Carl, you mentioned that um, through the work at, at Port Adelaide that, that you understood more your connection to, to country and, and to culture. What does it mean to you to be connected to country?
2: Yeah, I mean, speaking um, to mum and dad, especially mum, about where we're from, and um, you know, we're from North Stradbroke Island, just off um, Brisbane. So, um, unfortunately, I've only been there a handful of times. And um, as Tish was saying before, it's all about a feeling and. Um, I recently went up there two or three years ago, and um, as soon as I stepped foot on the island, it just felt at peace, and um, I felt really comfortable. And um, that's what it's all about. And um, you know, it's a, I love the beach, and and obviously being an island is it's surrounded by beautiful beaches, and obviously Brown Lake in
0: the middle. It's a it's a special place to be, and especially to connect to. It's it's an amazing feeling. Tish, you, you sort of touched on it, but why is it so important to protect country?
1: And again, to put it simply, because if we protect country, we protect people. You know, we've seen for too long that because of Western ways and of managing our land and sea, it's been really extractive and degrading our systems and really changed the the way of our land and oceans. And so, you know, we've seen this and we're seeing our country hurting and this is from, you know, we're seeing more fires happening faster and lasting longer that move to you know flooding to droughts to sea levels rising in the islands and so you know for a first nations person you know we feel this we feel our country hurting and when country is hurting we're all hurting and we're sort of seeing that as our communities get impacted too
0: what are some of the best ways that we can protect country?
1: I think it's really like, you know, the start of this like, you know, as we sort of unpacking this conversation is that it's just understanding what that really means, which is, you know, stoked to be having this yarn right now. And I guess it's just unpacking sort of how did we get here and the roots to that and I guess that's, you know, the topic of this climate justice and what that really is and I think, you know, a stepping into understanding is like protecting country is climate justice because climate justice, in order for climate justice, you must have First Nations justice. And so, by understanding what those are and how we got here, you know, are we really able to, st- uh, you know, step forward and take on these solutions to get together?
0: Carl, within the AFL, obviously, there's the, the senior leadership group within uh, the Indigenous players. Um, is this a conversation protecting country and connecting to country that's happening within the playing group?
2: Yeah, I think so. And I think, um, you know, we as a senior group, we want to try and put our best foot forward. And um, certainly some of the issues that are that are being brought up as some of these. And, um, you know, it's about how we can give back to our communities as best as possible. And, um, you know, because we know getting back to communities is such a... Um, a positive thing for those in the community, and um, if we can bring
0: football as part of that and try and protect them as much as possible, then that's something that we're willing to do. Um, Tish, you you really started to touch on the link between protecting country and and climate justice, and um, how how is it how is it different? How is it the same? Um, it's a it's it's clearly a strong link, but you know, it's different terminology, but is it is also a different feeling.
1: Sorry, I, just I can ask figuring it in a out how to say no because. And I guess this is just like, well, protecting country is what we call it, and I say we collectively as First Nations people, whilst climate is a colonial word. And so as the people before us who have really tried to shift and educate sort of the green movement space and the climate network here in um, Australia, it's been a part of educating that and then centering the justice part and the human nature interaction, that if we are being really extractive to the land, how does that impact, you know, the people of the community down the road? And if we're not thinking about that because we're just looking at profits, then we're looking at profits over people, when really it should be people over profits because we're the ones most at stake. And that's bringing that intersection, like if we protect our country and care for it and manage it in a way that uses the traditional knowledge and wisdom of those that have gone before us, that have passed down the stories for generations and generations and apply that into our everyday living, then together can we really centre and look at what that really means.
0: How does climate justice then link to other concepts like social and racial justice?
1: I think to answer that question, we really need to actually, you know, define what is climate justice. And so climate justice is, you know, we're all seeing and feeling climate change right now, but we're not feeling it equally. And so those that are impacted first and worst are uh, being disproportionately impacted and actually not contributing to our emissions and are being on the front lines and bearing the brunt of these impacts. And so then that goes back and that can and people can deep dive into this and this is just about like, you know, exactly just, you know, uh, mentioning before it's like at the deeper injustice to how we got here and, you know, we've had some really deadly yarns about it but it's like... It's about, col- you know, colonialism, patriarchy and racism. And, you know, it's like touching on the- these points about actually the truth of how we got here, of like how white Australia came about. And it was about land. It was about the resources here. And that's what they came for. And so it comes back to, you know, them having a different value for our land and our oceans. Whilst what we saw was our medicine, our hospital, you know, our our totems, our history, our song lines and our stories. And so with that, there was always, always inequality. And we bear, we continue to bear that brunt after, you know, over 200 years. Just for
0: the listeners, you and I have had lots of conversations and you've been really generous with me and taking me on this journey of understanding what climate justice is. And I, I, thank you forever for for being there for me for that um, that journey um, but really what my understanding through having this conversation more and more is that really the answers to climate justice are really about uh, dealing with and and working on social and racial justice Carl from your position as a, a senior leader in the indigenous playing group in the AFL, What work is being done within the AFL and and the playing group to address racism and racial injustice in, in footy and the broader community? Yeah, well, unfortunately, it's still going on today.
2: Um, obviously, we had a case last week with Jamara and um, I think as a, a senior cohort, we're we're really rallying together for for this cause, and um, you know, we're going to call it out. To be honest, um, you know, if we see it, then you can see the whole AFL community will get together and we'll call this out because it's something that um, it shouldn't be happening today, and certainly a, a, a footy game on the weekend. You know, it's not the place for this.
0: Yeah, and you know, when we're putting on the game and we're playing, um, just there's no place for it in our game, you know. Don't don't come to the footy and, and think that that's um, how we we are in this in this community and in this, this space. It's um, yeah. It's just it's just shocking to just see every year this continue to come up. So I, you know how does it how does it feel as as an indigenous player cuz i know from my perspective as as really just a some white guy um you know i'm shocked that that this keeps happening but how does it actually feel when it just continually comes up
2: yeah it really zaps the life out of you and i think you know what we spoke about before is when we come together on these um, indigenous summits and these camps and we come together and we, we form these relationships with each other and um you know to see something like that happen on the weekend and it, you know as i said it really takes the the life out of you and um you know it's sad to say that still happening in this modern day of age um and you know football's not a place that it's not it's there's no place for racism wherever it may be so um to still see it happening today and especially with you know blokes who you form relationships with it's um yeah it's it's heartbreaking
0: Throughout this podcast, we've heard countless times that we need to protect what we have now before it's lost. Disrupting the flow of money into coal, gas and oil is critical to limiting the impacts of climate change. Your bank could be investing billions of dollars into the fossil fuel industry, but we as individuals have a choice and together we can create big change with just one action by putting our money where it matters. Bank Australia is an ethical bank that doesn't fund harmful industries. Join us and over 180,000 Australians who've made the switch. Search Bank Australia Solutions. Tish, you know, from from where I started this journey, uh, I was saying to you that I felt like climate change really started in the industrial revolution and you know that's the point where carbon emissions accelerated and now we're in this position today where we're facing climate catastrophe. But you said it goes much further back and you mentioned before colonialism, patriarchy and racism as being really central to the issue of climate injustice. Um, Would you like to elaborate a little bit more on that?
1: Yeah, thank you. And I think like, you know, um, I guess just what you said about how you know, people assume that it started at the Industrial Revolution, but it stems beyond that because of, I guess, the way that uh, exploration happened <laughs> with Anglo-Saxons and sort of went around the world and planted seeds. Um, but when they came to Australia, were so resource rich here and really saw the different value of our land and saw it as free pickings. That... Cause, because with colonialism came a lot of extractivism and then with patriarchies that we've always seen, you know, pale male stales, you know, white men at top, always in that position and where women bear the brunt of caring and looking after and having these responsibilities. But I think in this space as well, in the intersectionalities is racism. Racism, you know, was a really big thing, like back as we were colonised, you know, we weren't the same Uh, We didn't come from the same community, have the same values and same culture and same practices. And so for that, it was, I guess, foreign to them. And so, but, you know, here we are after, you know, centuries, we still continue to face those barriers. And I think, you know, having this, you know, deadly yarn with you all is, it's, you know, really apparent in the game. And I know that like AFL is like Australia's favorite pastime, but importantly, you know, I played. I was a part of Oz like Oz Kick as a kid, and you know, the programs that have gone in to you know bring people together. And I think, Carl, what you said about you know you, you having these camps or having these um, gatherings together, you're able to connect and learn a bit more about who like about who you are your connection to country, where you came from, because of our deep history. You know we've had a lot of gaps and trauma, um, but you know, sport has been something that people, our communities, have really come together and stand together as one, and especially just from you know, seeing you know, uh, AFL really impact you know, the hearts and homes of you know, First Nations communities right across this um nation, and so. I think when we really sort of, I guess, going back up top about that colonialism, patriarchy and racism is that there's a deeper injustice to how we got here and we're still Seen those on like those systemic barriers and challenges, and they're really present today, and not just in the game, but in our, our political landscape and in the climate movement.
0: You know, Tish, for me, um, you know, this conversation really around uh, climate justice and you know protecting country. At times it can get a little bit uncomfortable. and you know th- this concept of you know decolonizing environmentalism and being able to lean into this conversation as a white person, um, you know why why is it so important that that we are good allies and that we have good allies for for people who are sort of calling for more climate justice?
1: And I think just zooming out for a quick second is that you know fun fact is that, Indigenous people globally make up less than five percent of the world population. Yet we look after, you know, over 80% of its biodiversity. And so when we talk about this and those intersectionalities of caring for country, protecting it, and then the deeper injustice to this, it's actually understanding not only how we got here, but then how do we bring everyone along? And so I think answering, you know, how can allies step in. In this conversation, as we've sort of highlighted here from my brother Carl, about you know we're still seeing ongoing racism within the game. This is where we need to have you know, um, you know, our allies like you um, and you know footies for climate um, players come in and call this out because that's your teammate, and we know like. Teams are your family. You know, you gotta trust them, you gotta have their back, because you wanna hope that they have your back. And so with this, is that when you see that, you need to support your brothers and sisters that are out there bearing the brunt of this, because as we've heard here with Brother Carl, he's had a bit of a journey. And we see that across a lot of people, across a lot of communities. And it is not an easy way to get here. And even for everyone, but for, you know, Blackfellas, the ongoing, you know, systemic challenges and barriers that we face. And so when we have these gaps from health and, you know, when we s- hear these stories it's and then s- see the success and <laughs> these like, you know, wins, um, this is where we need you to step up, step in and call the shit out because it's year 2023. And, you know, You're not a racist, right? You're not born with this behaviour, you're taught it. So we need to decolonise, we need to unlearn this behaviour and come together to protect our family and our community, but importantly, the game. Tish,
0: you and others have had conversations with me about how extractive industries like fossil fuel industry, uh, they wouldn't fly if their projects, their minds were impacting sites like say the Sydney Opera House. Uh, but it seems as though they get green lit for projects that impact indigenous sacred sites throughout our country. And I guess just that that notion of like not in my backyard and being separate in the cities from what is happening out in um, rural and remote communities, indigenous communities. Um, you mentioned to me and i think this sort of this ties into you know the difference between 1.5 degrees of warming and, and two degrees of warming in the city it might not be so dramatically felt but in these rural and remote places in indigenous communities and in cultures like yours that might be the difference between it surviving and it disappearing so you know why is it so important for us to continually have this conversation in our cities and make sure that that everyone is concerned and everyone is taking action to tackle climate change.
1: You know, Tom, I think because at the end of the day it's going to impact it's impacting us all. But what we need to sort of, I guess, you know, and zooming in here of in the Northern Territory, for example. Right now we're seeing a four-kilometre fracking site from a corporation um, wanting to drill down and fracture. And we know that traditional owners and there have been organisations like Get Up and the First Nations Justice Team and Seed Mob, uh, you know, the Youth Indigenous Climate Network, who've been leading, supporting these traditional owners who've been calling for, you know, uh, saying no to fracking um, because of the way that these fossil fuel corporations have come in and disregarded their concerns, um, and ignored their wishes um, for their and ignored their consent, essentially. And so, you know, when you, you know, when we think about that along that fracking site is on a beautiful basin called Beetaloo that is the lungs and heart of the northern territory and our land is so connected that if it happens on our on that country it has downward impacts to the next country where rivers flowing in But we wouldn't have four kilometres of that exactly, like you said, from Sydney Opera House to, what, The Rocks? Oh, my gosh, that would, like, (laughs) destroy people's scenic views. And how is, you know, how is that okay, like you said? And who is accountable, especially when it's those people in those capital cities that need the resources and those extractive resources whilst we – it's ruining – the natural resources of those communities. And I think as a Torres Strait Islander person, you know, right now we have sea levels rising where my family are using crepe pallets that forklifts use and putting it in the ground with coconut husks and coconut trees as their first barrier to protect them from that. And in the last couple of summers, I've had to go and pick up the bones of my grandmother. Like, who does that? That's so disrespectful. And for our culture, our burial sites were buried, were, were, were placed in the center of an island. So that is an indication um, of how much land and island is being degraded and, um, you know, being impacted by erosion. But this is happening because our atmosphere is warming. Our polar ecosystems are vulnerable and our oceans are rising. And it's from these these extractive projects like fracking in the Northern Territory is what is, you know, we are our own worst enemy. We can stop this. Humans can stop this by not creating emissions at all and keeping it in the ground. And this is that, I guess, understanding of what that really means because it's not just here in Australia, it's globally, but they seem to have these mining projects or extractivism projects in marginalised groups, in black or um, other, uh, you know, diverse background uh, communities. And so how, why? And, you know, it comes back to the conversations of that justice part and, you know, those, I guess, those foundations of colonialism, patriarchy and racism. It wouldn't happen in, yeah, in that backyard of a Sydney person living their best life in Double Bay. Oh, no, thank you.
0: Carl, um, <laughs> I've had the real privilege of of working with your mum, Auntie Katrina Eamon, and... She has done so much for our footy club in in leading Indigenous programs and um, really trying to foreground um, the culture of my Indigenous teammates and the history that we have as our footy club and not shying away from that either. She has started a new tradition and I think it's really powerful um, that we get welcomed to country um, by an elder every season just before round one. It's two years in now and been really privileged to to be a part of that, um, and something that I take from from that welcome this year was that I've been invited onto Wurundjeri land, uh, and that I am invited to use the resources as I need, but I was asked to take no more than than required. Why is it important for us to listen to the wisdom and advice of elders and respect the country that we're on?
2: Yeah, I think it's massive, and I think what elders bring in are just stories of the past and um, how they can transfer that to the to the present and emerging. And um, you know, I think the welcome to countries. You know, we had one ourselves, and um, I know for the the first couple of rounds of the AFL, they had one um, on the MCG, and, and Eddie had as well. So um, it's I think it's a massive part of of what we are, and um, you talk about. Um, you know, only taking what you what you can and what you can use, and I think that comes back to our totems as well. And I think that's a great representation of you know my my totem's the carpet snake, and I'm I'm not allowed to hunt that 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 totem that animal. So um, that's all comes back to sustainability and only using what you can. And um, I think that's the perfect example of, of that message.
1: And always sharing, yeah. always sharing with our community and family. As Islanders, I resonate and have that same sentiment with our values of how we're raised.
2: Yeah, and I think growing up as a, a young Indigenous man, it's all about, um, you know, learning our culture and, and hearing those stories. And, um, you know, that's the best way we can learn and um, share that knowledge on to
0: everyone else. I was chatting to Katrina, actually, before this chat. And, um, you know, we, we were talking about some of those sustainability issues. Um, ideas that are actually really present in indigenous cultures and she was talking about about fishing and um I th- she mentioned that she was actually was talking to you about um you know which fish you throw back and are there, are there sort of any other sort of stories um that you know sort of resonate around that sustainability message that are sort of embedded in your culture
2: yeah, I think so, and I think obviously hunting is a massive part of our culture. And um, I mean, what you spoke about before is only taking what you can. It's a perfect example. Like, um, you know, our people aren't going to take bags full of fish home to feed everyone. It's going to, we're only going to take of what we need and um, you know what we can hunt with. So, I think it's a massive part of our culture, hunting and gathering, and. Um, you know, it's it's so great to you know my mum loves fishing. You know, she loves mud crabs up at North Stradbroke Island. So, um, yeah, I, I just love um, connecting her with
0: her with in that um, space of our culture. So, before we jumped on air, we were talking about what some of the tangible solutions are for people who are listening to the show today. One of the really um, clear ones to me was um, follow First Nations groups on social media. Um, Tish, what are some of the the best groups that people can follow if they're really interested in supporting First Nations organisations?
1: Yeah, for those folks out there tuning in, uh It'd be deadly if you can go check out whether you're on the gram, Facebook, or uh, on the world wide web, check out Seed Mob, they Australia's first and only youth-led indigenous climate network. Uh, the incredible Our Islands Our Home campaign led by eight Torres Strait claimants. Uh, we've got um the Matawara Fitzroy over in the Kimberleys that are fighting against um protecting their, their Matawara, the Fitzroy River. Um by campaigning against fracking and the talk black first nations justice team at uh get up australia who are leading in systemic um and policy change within communities and backing uh traditional um custodians and frontline communities i think also think for those tuning in, that was a lot in there, so um, that's cool. If you miss a lot of that, re- re- re-listen.
0: We might put them in the show notes yeah. as well. <laughs>
1: um, but, you know, if you're following teams, um, it's about, you know, supporting and backing, um, you know, what's happening, I guess, in players' associations or listening to those First Nations uh, leaders in your clubs that are really Uh, Shifting the way, um, you know, footy is, Um, continuing to back, you know, those players um, is a really great way, especially in, um, you know, for what uh, we're having these yarns here at the cool down. And importantly, backing um, footy for climate. You know, this work is, um, you know, by incredible contributions by partners, but um, not always the way. And so... um, You know, if you can support by backing our, you know, 40 for Climate, downloading and sharing the cool down with all your friends, that would be so deadly.
0: And Carl, uh, another thing we'd spoken about before we jumped on the show was knowing what country you're on. What are some of the best ways that people can find out what country they're they're on?
2: Yeah, I think for me knowledge is power and um, just asking the question and, you know, we spoke about earlier that, um, you know, the welcome to countries are so important and they're a massive part of our culture and, um, you know, the fact that we're seeing these, you know, more commonly used these days is it's such a, a good thing to see. And, um, you know, going back on, on what Tish just spoke about, you know, something that I've seen personally in the AFL is clothing the gap and um, the work that they've done with the AFL during, you know, Sir Doug Nichols' round and, um, you know, what they put on their socials during um you know, major national days obviously Australia Day is a big talking point um, today and their knowledge and their information that they share you know during those days is, is really empowering. So I think knowledge is power and and, the, and the, you know
0: the the more you can learn about our culture, you know the better it's going to be. I've definitely learned heaps uh, from both of you and Tish. Um, h- how would you say that we can tackle climate injustice?
1: Simply put, the way that we are occupying our planet, and our communities and our cities is just not working anymore. And we need to come together and reconnect the human nature interaction and understand that. And that is by coming together in this power of collaboration uh, of both First Nations people and allies. And we can do this together.
0: Tish, Carl, thank you so much for sharing with me today. It's been a real privilege to have you both on the show. I've learnt so much and, and I know that our listeners today would have taken heaps out of our chat. So thanks a lot.
1: Essa so, Tom. Thanks for having us.
0: Thank you. It was great to talk to Tish and Carl about climate justice from a First Nations perspective, but climate justice is a global issue, impacting a diverse range of communities all around the world, so it's important to hear from a range of voices. Back in episode six, we spoke to Grace Vegisana about her light bulb moment at a youth training camp that led to a career advocating for climate justice at the AYCC and the realization that her family may have been climate refugees, if not for immigrating to Australia. Have a listen.
1: You mentioned that, you know, you started thinking a lot about this stuff when you were sort of in your teens and your teachers had a big influence on this as well. You started at the AYCC at the age of 17 as a volunteer. What drew you to this particular organisation?
3: Yeah, I think um, I owe a lot of my growing up in the climate movement story to the Australian New Climate Coalition. I think I'm very grateful to have joined a training camp the week I finished HSC. Um And just to be surrounded in this room full of young people who saw the same experiences that I was seeing and put names to it, um, Mm. whether they were like, yeah, like you're you're not gaslighting yourself. You're actually seeing these patterns in the world that actually intentionally exist and have been designed. And I clearly remember like a few key quotes from that training camp. One was, that the world and the system isn't actually broken; it's built like this. Mm. And I remember sitting there and being like, from Western Sydney, I think I was one of the only young people of colour in the room, and being like, "Yeah, like the system is actually built like this." And I wasn't imagining any of this, and I wasn't encouraged to, like, pretend like this didn't exist. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I had a really great moment where. They were talking about climate refugees and what that meant like uh, in our current context in the world and they were talking about it in some abstract terms but I remember sitting there and having I would say like my light bulb moment of realising that my family would have been climate refugees um, Mm. back in Botswana if we hadn't left when we would have, Uh, whether that was from desertification and people being forced off their land. because the animals were migrating to cooler areas. They weren't able to survive. Therefore, the people aren't able to survive off that land and the regeneration cycle that exists within that Um, all of the water pollution, all of the extraction pollution, all of the dust in the air that makes it so hard to breathe. Um, So I think there was a real light bulb moment, but it was really just like being a room full of people for the first time in my life that Mm. actually saw these issues as they existed and didn't pretend like they didn't exist or didn't try to hide behind empty promises of we can fix this stuff, but was actually like, we're going to tackle this and this has names and we're going to be a part of a community that actually strives to create change in the space.
0: I'm your host, Tom Campbell, and thanks for listening to The Cooldown, a footy for climate podcast. The Cooldown is produced by Sam Dalton and audio is edited by Darcy Parkinson from Producey. Episode research is done by me, Jasper Pittard and Eloise
3: Witkowski.